Psalm 71 8 says, My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your goodness all day long. Has anybody come in here to declare about his goodness? If that's you, could you just lift up and shout unto God right now that he has been good to you? He has been good. Our teenagers are back. Can we give them a hand clap? It looks like they had a great time. They are sunburnt, so it must have been good. Um, we want to continue in our worship. As you, if you leave tonight, if you would continue in your uh, tithing and giving, and we want to say thank you so much for being so faithful. You guys are an awesome people. Let's do our declaration together this evening, please. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness into the hopeless and those in despair. We will live on your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting, on word, everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Can you give God a hand clap of praise? Okay, so we are doing this again. <laughs> Hell lost two more. Two more. Alrighty, so we always like to celebrate um, with our family, our, our church family, because um, it's so important to celebrate together. Um, Joyce and Kylie, um, actually Joyce gets to leave on Monday, but I'm keeping Kylie for an extra week. <laughs> so um, so we, um, when the girls come into Christway Ministries, they... Um, they make a commitment, amen. They make a commitment to stay with, with us for nine months. Um, and in that nine months, they gather a set of tools because it's not about the program, right? It's about God. Uh, the, he's the one that, that changes things. He's the one that sets free. And so these women are standing here free um, and they've ran the race with endurance, they have kept their eyes on the prize. This isn't the end. It's actually the beginning. Um, now it starts, amen. Um, but we can see the evidence of all things working together for their good. Um, these women have been set free and they have a purpose for their lives. And we just, we cannot wait to see what God is doing in their lives with their kids, with their families, with their uh, ministries. Well, Kylie has a ministry growing in her belly. And I just, I, I love getting to see that and be a part of it. So they're going to tell you what's happened since they've been um, knowing the Lord. Since I have entered Christ's way, it has definitely been an amazing experience. God is working in my family. Uh, 
reuniting my family, my children back. I couldn't ask for a better beginning than with the Women in Christ's Way and the women that's involved with us. Cassia and I thank you so much. Without her pushing to say, you got this. With Andy, the house mom, she's been so amazing. I love you guys. This church, I love you guys. I just want to start by saying this was not my plan. This was God's plan. <laughs> I did not picture this for myself, but God seen it in me, and he's seen fit to save me, and he's seen fit to bless me with a church family and with my own Sunday school class. Like, I get to teach children about Jesus. <laughs> and I just want to give God glory for a minute because he's just been so good to me. I've got a good relationship with my family, and they're here to support me. And I'm so thankful <laughs> for everybody that came to support me. And I love you guys. I didn't have this planned and I did not um, ask permission to do this either, but he has to learn the hard way that I'm a fly by the seat of your pants kind of person. So it matters what people speak into these girls' lives. And so uh, Joyce showed up on my doorstep with a ball bat and I'm like, Joyce, I'm gonna have to uh, have that ball bat. Uh, so she gets it back tomorrow when she leaves. But um, Kylie, I actually met Kylie in county jail and um, the jailer, you know, because before I would have to see people in jail through the, through the clear, <laughs> through the clear window, but uh, Mr. Burton is the jail administrator now, and he showed up tonight, but he makes it possible for us to do a face-to-face -face interview in that jail so that we don't have to look at them through a window, so that we can minister to them, so that we can love on them. And he says to her while we're sitting in his office, he's writing this stuff down, and he looks at her real stern, and he's not a small man. <laughs> He looks at her and he says, you know what? You've been given an opportunity to do the right thing. And I just want to tell you that everybody's name that I wrote down on this piece of paper is going to prison on Friday, but your name's not on this piece of paper. So you better do the right thing because God has a plan for your life. We would not be standing here tonight celebrating these women if Cassie and Dan King had not said yes. If I know, but God birthed this in Cassie in the middle of the night and she woke up her husband and it got birthed in his spirit. And so I just, we thank God that they said yes. They said yes.
She's, she's saying it's everybody, but God visited her in the middle of the night and she woke up Dan. Now I know that God might have come and tapped somebody else on the shoulder, but it wouldn't have been Christ's way ministry. And I know she's gonna beat me up and she might be smaller than me, but she's also meaner than me. So after this is over, but let me just take a minute. And I know, you know, Dan and Cassie have poured all of themselves into this ministry. And a great personal sacrifice. And you preachers out there, anybody who starts a ministry knows it's blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice. And so I just... I know you've already applauded her, so I won't have you applaud her, but I just want to encourage you, pray for Cassie and Dan, and the Bible says many hands make the burden light, and God has supplied them with many hands, and pray that he raises up more, because this ministry is ordained by God, and so I just have to say, and I know Cassie's not going to speak to me for the rest of her life, but that's all right. Okay, now I'm going to say what I'm supposed to say. Um, this is just such an honor tonight for to be here with these two women. Psalms 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your stamp they, staff, they comfort me. Joyce and Kylie, you have walked through the shadow of the valley of death called addiction. And God's rod and staff, they comforted you. They got you out. You weren't walking with God then. Kylie, you had family praying for you. Joyce, you had Cassie praying for you, and she would mention your name to other of us. We were praying for you. So God, you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death and came out. Thanks be to God. Isaiah 55 11 says, so my word which goes from my mouth will not return to me empty or void. It will do what I want it to do and I will carry and will carry out my plan well. For the past nine months, these women have been saturated with the word of God. They are at this church three times a week. They attend crossroads. They go to almost every night of the week. They are not just a faith Based, but spirit-filled programs, Bible studies, devotions. So they have been saturated for nine months with the Word of God. And I know as you walk out of Christ's way that that Word is not going to return void, for it's living in both of you. Um, the Bible in Matthew 7, 24 through 27 tells a parable about a wise man and a foolish man. And the wise man built his house upon the rock, which was Jesus Christ. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, which was worldly wisdom and the wisdom of their own self. And so when the floods came, when the storms came, when the winds blew, the house that was built on the rock on Jesus, it stayed firm. It did not fall. But that was built on the world and on their own devices. It fell and crumbled. You too, by being finishing this program and being saturated with the Word of God, you have started your foundation on the rock. You have started building your house on Jesus Christ. So when the troubles come, and they will, they come to us all, it rains on the just and the unjust and when the winds blew and when you feel like you want to give up you won't because your foundation is built on the rock now Joyce God always gives me a scripture for you ladies the one I got for you is Philippians 2 13 
He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Now, you and I got, you know, got to know each other pretty well. And one thing, Joyce needed to complete a parenting class, and she did. I didn't bring her certificate up here, but she graduated with, from her parenting class. And so her and I had lots of times just me and her, and which was good. I got to know Joyce's heart. And I know that for most of your life, you felt like the odd man out. Well, you're not the odd man out anymore. And God, who has begun a good work in you, Joyce, as you leave, I want to caution you that, you know, you need to hang on to what you've learned. You know, don't be swayed by wanting people's approval. Don't be swayed by the wrong friends. You know, it's the enemy's going to try and tempt you back into that old familiar place with familiar friends. But never forget, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Kylie, <laughs> I love I love them both, but me and Kylie, we've had a little bumpy road from time to time. We bumped heads a couple times, but boy, we still love each other. She's precious to me. But when I've mentioned to her before, I said, well, Kylie, you know, me and you've bumped heads. She goes, oh, Miss Vicki, it's that way with everybody. So it's not just me, but Kylie, you know, one thing that I love so much about you, Kylie, is you have a servant's heart. And Kylie, has been the baby of the group. She's 19 years old. She'll turn 20 soon, but she's been the baby, and she's got a youthful exuberance that I love, and she's got a servant's heart. And so, Kylie, the scripture I have for you is Ephesians 6, 7, and 8, which says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. And Kylie, I want to caution you. We've talked about this. I know Andy has, Cassie probably has too. Don't just say yes all the time because you, because of your exuberance, because of your servant's heart, you're going to get asked to do a lot of things. But prayerfully consider before you say yes, because it's better to do one or two things well than to do 10 or 12 halfway. So, and I want to finish with a scripture which we're all familiar with for both of you, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We're going to pray for them now, if everybody would stand.
because of all my failures Wondering how long is this going last Then you look at this prisoner and say to me son stop fighting a fight that's already been won I am redeemed You set me free So I'll shake off these heavy chains Wipe away every stain Cause I'm not Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I know one thing. 
I can't preach no better message than what you just heard preached by the lives of those two young ladies. That's the gospel. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. But I do got something to speak tonight, and I'll do my best. Um, the Lord has laid something on my heart that I want to share with you tonight as we get into the Word of God tonight. Um, I'm going to ask Brother Marvin if he'd stay and, and pray, please. Amen. Well, I got some good news for you. I don't plan to be very long tonight. Now, I thought that'd get a shout. Nothing else gets a shout tonight. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's no secret in this place that our church desires to see the glory of the Lord. It's no secret that we desire to see his manifested presence amongst us. It's no secret that it's our desire that this place would be a place of refuge, that this would be a harvest ground, that the harvest would pour through them doors and fill this house for the glory of the Lord. And with that kind of a desire, there is a responsibility that comes with that. And there is things we must do to prepare for that. And tonight, I'm going to talk about something the Lord has put on my heart to add to the preparation he's already been preparing us for, because there are a lot of aspects to this thing when the glory of the Lord begins to fill this place. And there's things we must do in preparation to be ready to handle what God wants to do. Because it's no secret, we preach message after message talking about the times that are ahead of us in the last days and, and the dark times are coming. But no matter how dark it gets on this earth, in these dark times, though, the church has a purpose. Do you know what it is? Well, according to Matthews 5 and 14, in speaking to the church, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. And then he references it as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And in verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When things get dark is when the church will shine the brightest. And in the darkness to come will be when people will be looking for a light. And church, it is time for the church to shine. Amen. 
There is fixing to be so many more walking around in darkness as it continues to fill this earth. Yet, there's going to come a time when the church is going to have to be brighter than it's ever been. When things get dark and it's coming, I want you to watch this. This is why it's going to be so important to know the Word of God in times like these. So, Because the, the Word of God says that it'll be a lamp unto my feet. It'll be a light unto my path. It'll give me direction. It'll give me hope. It'll give me protection. It will speak to my life. It will lead me in the right path. But not only will that do that for me, it will cause me to be light that I can lead others out of darkness. That as they follow me, I will lead them to the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ. Some people don't turn around at the first sign of darkness. Many people wait longer. But many do turn on the light, look for the light finally when it gets dark enough. Some people just stumble around in the lo lost in the darkness. But we as a church has got to leave the light on for them. This is why it's going to be so important to know the Word of God. It's going to be used more than we've ever used it before in these last days. It's going to be more important than it's ever been. So I want to read a little bit more, though, about the purpose of the church. Verse 13, 13 talking to the church, says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its savor, in other words, its purpose, how shall it be seasoned? Or how shall it get its seasoning back? Because when it loses its savor, purpose, Jesus says, it's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. That's what's wrong with the church. We have lost our savor, our purpose, our relevance, our reverence, and the question is, how do we get it back? Because the church is in decline at a time it should be growing. And too many are seeing it as the scripture just implied. That the church has lost its savor, its purpose. It's good for nothing. So therefore, it's being trampled on by men. You want me to tell you what brings back our savor? And the King James says it like, uh, New King James says it like this, our flavor is God's favor. It's his presence. And we cannot have God's favor without righteousness coming back to the church. To be righteous means to be right with God. The only hope for our nation is a righteous church. Sin is a reproach to any nation, but righteousness exalteth a nation. If we want the church, the body of Christ, which includes you and I, to be the light and the salt of the earth again, if we want to fulfill our purpose and get our savor back, it's got to become sanctified again. 
That's why we're in such deep, net, desperate need of revival that will bring a spiritual renewal. Not just another goosebump service, not a man-made simulated experience, not just something to appease the flesh, to feel good about, but something that feeds the soul to shout about. Hallelujah. We have gone so long since we've experienced it, there are so many who never have. There's so many new converts who've only heard of this thing we speak of called revival, making it hard for them to see the value of it. So therefore, not a lot of people desire it for it or make a sacrifice for it. We're in that season where everybody's wanting to do what they think is right in their own eyes, in their own minds. There's so much pressure on the church to perform nowadays. Many believe if it don't happen in here, if it don't happen in this building, it cannot happen anywhere. And it's pressuring the church to entertain their desires, negating a genuine experience with God. Pressuring the church, if the church house don't provide the experience, we will never experience it. Neither will our children or our children's children. I hope I don't get misunderstood tonight or misquoted tomorrow. So the church holds the responsibility and the guilt of not having it. But let's not forget, though, who the church is. Your experience with God is an individual responsibility, not the church's. The purpose of the church is to disciple you how to have a relationship with God that will lead you to an experience where you can experience the fullness of the Godhead. The church is the body of Christ. It's me and you saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Ghost. This building is simply that, a building that has been dedicated to be a sacred meeting place with God. We, the church, dedicated to be a place we can meet with God and with fellowship of the saints. And whether or not his presence is here is whether or not it's his, if his presence is in here. Whether or not the praises are sung in here, whether there is worship in here, whether or not there is prayer in here, whether or not there's a repentance in here so the times of refreshing can come. Until we get our savor back, the church is going to be trampled on by men instead of being empowered by God. There is liberty wherever the spirit is Lord. The church is not to be trampled on under the enemy's feet. It's supposed to have the enemy under its feet. It's to be a city set on a hill, a light unto the world. We need the glory of God back in the church, and it's time to pursue it while it still yet may be found. But before we can have it, we have got to prepare for it. How? By sanctifying our lives. Now, tonight, you can open your Bibles to the book of Samuel. If you want to, I'm going to be referring to chapters 4 and 7. And also going to be going to 1 Chronicles 13 through 16. These are such familiar passages of Scripture. They're often preached on, especially in the Pentecostal churches. I will quickly refresh us of the content of these passages. But my point won't be pulling from a common perspective often preached on. I'm going to go to the flip side of the conversation. The Ark of the Covenant is the centerpiece of these passages. The glory of the Lord is a subject often referred to in these passages. And what is mentioned concerning the glory of God, God's presence, is the importance of it, how to lose it, and how to get it back. The ark was known to house the glory of God. So therefore, wherever the ark was placed, the glory, the presence of God dwelt there, bringing protection and blessing and favor to whoever housed it. Israel had always housed the ark, and rightfully so. Israel has been and will always be God's chosen people. 
But be ye thanks unto God, us Gentiles have been grafted in into the family of God, making us joint heirs with Jesus Christ to where we can have everything that they got. They would often build structures to place the ark in. And as God's chosen people, God highly favored them with his presence. And many of their enemies even feared them because they knew the glory of God dwelt with them. But something happens one day. They took it to battle with them one day and lost it to the Philistines. I want to recall that moment for you. This turn of events all started when Israel, they entered into a war with the, their neighbors, the Philistines. The first battle that took place with the Philistines, Israel was defeated, and 4,000 soldiers died that day. Israel retreated, regrouped, and planned a counterattack. This time, with quick thinking, they agreed to take the ark into the battle. They were confident, surely we'll win with it, yet they never prayed about it, never sought God about this battle. They'd actually grown to idolize the ark. They began to take it for granted by simply putting their trust in the ark more so than actually God himself. It was their careless actions that actually set them up for this defeat. According to 1 Samuel 4, prior to the battle, the ark had been residing in the ancient sanctuary city of Shiloh, at which it was brought out by the Israelites at this time in hopes it would bring them victory in this war. But instead of winning the battle, though, church, this time again, they suffered an even more significant loss. This time in their defeat, they lost 30,000 Israelite soldiers. And not only that, the very thing that they thought would cause them to win, the war was captured, the ark. The ark was captured by the Philistines, as well as Eli's two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed in the battle that day. There were other tragedies also associated with this loss. According to Samuel chapter 4, the news of the ark's capture and the death of Eli's two sons was at once taken to Shiloh by a messenger to the priest Eli. Upon him hearing the news of the defeat, the ark being captured, and his two sons were dead, verse 18 says, then it happened. When he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off his seat backwards by the side of the gate, and in doing so broke his neck, and he died. Eli, the man who judged Israel for 40 years, and if that wasn't enough, Eli's daughter-in-law, who heard this news of her husband's and her father-in-law's death being told whilst he was burying a son because of the news she heard upon her son's birth, she named her newborn son Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed in reference to the ark. But even Ichabod's mother that day also died giving him birth. You see, when the glory departs, you lose God's favor and death arrives while the enemy celebrates. Upon the glory departing, it brought death to Eli's whole household. Dear Lord, we can't afford to lose your presence. Take not your spirit from us, O Lord. Now, the Philistines thought by taking away the ark from the Israelites, this would be stealing their strength and had hopes it would bless them as well. Well, it didn't work out for them as, out for them as they thought. The glory of God will never dwell in the enemy's camp. The glory is for God's people. They at first took it and placed it in the Dagon temple beside their idol god, Dagon. And the glory of God will never dwell with darkness. It dispels the darkness. Well, the next morning, the Philistines found their idol god, Dagon, had been toppled and laid prostrate on the floor. They picked it back up, placed it right back, only to come in the next morning and find it down on the ground again. But this time, it was totally destroyed. 
So they immediately moved the ark again. And 1 Samuel 5 and 6 says, describes how the Philistines had to move the ark to several locations in their territory. As tumors, though, hemorrhoids, they say, began to afflict the people in each town to which it had been taken to. The affliction on the people was so severe to the point, they actually ended up deciding to give it back to Israel because it brought cursing instead of blessing to their life. At the ark had been among the Philistines, the Bible says, for seven months. The Philistines finally, on the advice of their priests and diviners, decided to give it back to the Israelites. But out of fear, even accompanying its return with a trespass offering, an offering that consisted of images of tumors of rats, where they had been afflicted in town after town. There was no way God was going to bless Israel's enemy, and there's no way Israel was going to be blessed without God. So God made a way for it to return, causing the Philistines to give it back. They take and they place it on a new cart. They attached it to some milk cows and sent it on its way back. The Bible says it ended up in Beth Shemeth. They rejoiced upon the arrival of it, but they did not know how to handle the glory. They too were unprepared for it. And they opened the ark and over 50,000 men fell dead that day as a result. So the ark was sent to Benedict's house, a Levite in Israel, back to where it could be carefully cared for for 20 years. The ark had returned to Israel to a place that was prepared for it. His son Eleazar was consecrated to be able to ready to take care of the ark. And it remained there for 20 years. And Samuel let the people know the ark is returned, and they were to repent and sanctify themselves upon doing so, God's favor returned. And the Bible says after this happening that the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel's life. But then once David becomes king, David had begun to have a hunger for the glory to come back to the city of David, his home. He knew it was a difference maker for their kingdom. So he began to pray for the glory to return. Then when the time was right, David gathered 30,000 men to go get the ark and bring it back. They went to Abinadad's house up on a hill. They loaded the ark on a new cart. Abinadad's two sons followed it back. And they began to return with rejoicing for its return. But most of you know this story. The oxen pulling the cart stumbles. Uzzah reaches to steady the ark. Upon touching the ark, he's struck dead. And we know the reasons this attempt failed. One, they didn't handle the ark, the glory, right? It was not to be carried on a cart. It was to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. And two, they were not prepared to handle it. They were not sanctified. Uzzah had not been sanctified to touch it. There's a lot of preaching there about handling the glory, but that's not where I'm going. Upon David seeing the ark had struck Uzzah dead, he became angry and fearful. He decided there's no way to get this thing back home. So he sent the ark, the glory, away to Obadiah's house. You will lose the glory if you do not handle it right. Now, I've talked about how important the ark, the glory of God, his presence is. I've told you how they lost it. And when it's gone, it brings forth death. But this is where I want to focus. It's time to talk about how to get it back. David can't handle the ark, the glory. But how come... He could take it to Obadiah's house. How come his house could handle it? It must have meant Obadiah was prepared for it, unlike David. His home and his household must have been sanctified. Because the Bible says it remained in Obadiah's house for three months 
And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And he had a large household, 62 descendants. It didn't say it blessed Obed-Edom's church. It said it blessed his household. Revival came to Obed-Edom's house because God deposited his glory there. That's going to be important. So first I had to ask, who's Obed-Edom? Well, Obed-Edom was considered to be from the tribe of Levi. Obed-Edom was a God-fearing man who David must have believed would show proper reverence to the ark. Otherwise, why would he take it to his house? And unlike Uzzah, who touched the ark, who maybe his problem was he had become too comfortable with it, with the glory, while it remained in Abinadad's house, which was his father's house for 20 years. Flesh will always stop a move of God. Maybe that became the church's problem too. While we no longer see the glory. We've had some pretty good moves of God in our past. But like too many of the others, they, they haven't lasted. Maybe we became too comfortable with in the past. Maybe we lost our reverence for it. Maybe we allowed our flesh to get in the way like Uzzah. Maybe we lost our reverence. Maybe we lost our savor and has brought death to the church, and therefore now it's being trampled on by man. See, Obed-Edom welcomed the ark and seemed to have no misgivings. As a godly man, Obed-Edom had nothing to fear. He was prepared for it. He knew how to handle it. He had his house apparently in order. Otherwise, it would have been nothing but a curse to him as well. But we read where it blessed his household for three months. It could be that he viewed the ark, God's presence, in his home as a high honor rather than a nuisance or a burden. And God rewarded his home. So here I make a point. Revival began in the household before it ever began in the city. Everybody is waiting for revival to come to the church Maybe it still needs to start in the home whereby we bring it to the church. Come on, somebody. Far too many of us have come to believe revival can only happen in the church house. I agree it can, and I agree it should happen in this house. But I'm coming to believe most people believe it's more of an importance for it to be in this house than it is to be in our house. Therefore, placing all the responsibility on the church house to, to if we ever have revival or not. Now, the church house plays a role, but the church itself plays a bigger role. We are the church. The people are the church. Now, let me ask some pertinent questions that I believe will lead to my point here. Lord, help me right here. Why do we desire so much to come into this house and have revival but we haven't ever prayed about having revival in our house. Why do we want to come into this house and desire to have a good worship service, but we don't worship in our house? Why do you want to come so much in here and have freedom in this house just to go home and be bound in our house? Why do we want so much to come in here and pray so hard your spouse will come to this house, but we can't get along with our spouse at our house? Why do we want to come into this house and pray for souls to be saved in this house, but we can't pray for the ones living in our house? 
Why is it so important for us to see a stranger get a breakthrough in this house, but you let that child here set bound in your house? Why do we feel it's so important to be sanctified and holy and reverent in this house, but folks can live like the devil in our house? Why should this house be a house of prayer, but there ain't nobody praying in your house? Well, many would say, because this is God's house. Then why can't you make your house God's house too? Dedicated to God and have revival in your house. Obed Edom did. Hallelujah. My point is the misfocus of the church. We have so engraved in our minds and programmed in our services that the whole role of the church house is more than just a vehicle, a place where God wants his church together to meet with his people, and it's the only place that he does. It's like the stigma on a library. Everybody knows when you go into the library, you have to act a certain way. You don't act like nowhere else. You expect to have to in the library. You got to be quiet. And you got to be reserved. Yet it's the only place you act like that. And my point I'm trying to make, there should be no difference. There should be no difference in how you act in God's house than how you act in your house. If you're truly sanctified. If you don't cuss in God's house, you shouldn't be at home cussing in your house. If you're truly sanctified. Otherwise, you're just acting sanctified. Because that's what you do in this house. It's what you expect to do, like at the library, instead of being what you want to do. We criticize the church because we can't have revival in this house, but we ain't even concerned that it's not in our house. What good is it to get clean in this house and go home and get all dirty again in your house? What good is it to have a breakthrough in this house, but have a breakdown at your house? What happened to us for me and my house? We shall serve the Lord. One day after a church service, family was driving home. Their little boy started crying in the back seat of the car. And mom asked the little boy who was crying, said, Tony, what's wrong, son? He said, well, the preacher said, every Christian ought to live in a righteous home, but I got to go home with you all. Come on, mom and dad. They're watching you. If you're only operating sanctified in this house and you're not in your house, you're not truly sanctified. You're just acting. What you do at the church house to be what you do at your house. If you pray in this house, you should pray at your house. If you worship in this house, you should worship at your house. And how you treat folks in the church house is how you should be treating folks at your house. Hallelujah. This is going to help us. I promise you. Parents that don't or won't go to an altar in this house over a period of time develop a condition called altaritis. It's a condition that's passed down to your kids. Is there such a thing? Sure, there is. It's like altaritis is like arthritis in the physical. There are some days you sit hurting so bad that you believe it would kill you to have to get up and walk to an altar. But unlike arthritis, though, there's a cure for altaritis. It's called humility, and your children who are watching need to be exposed to it. Why can't the four of you go home and have a revival at your house? Remember, you are the church. 
I've been in this thing 25 years. And I can't say personally, I've heard a lot of people come to me and say, boy, Randy, we've been having a revival at our house. Yet there's so much blame and pressure put on the church of being dead. You know why some people don't fret over or see the need of revivals? So many have never been in one. Can't miss nothing you never experienced. But you go somewhere and have a great time, you can't wait to go back, Right? The church is not responsible for your family's dedication to God. The schools are not responsible for your child's character. Mom and dad, you are. God entrusted your child's life to be your full responsibility until that child is an adult. Now, I can't get no help up in here for saying what needs to be said. I can tell that everybody else wants to say it, but everybody else is afraid to say it. Well, I ain't scared of this culture. Folks talking about a woke culture. How ridiculous is that? The culture is definitely not woke up. It's asleep, dead as a doornail. If there's anything that needs to be woke, it's the church that needs to be woken up out of its sleep because it has lost its savor. It's a light that's growing dimmer and dimmer as darkness prevails. And it ought not be. 4,500 churches alone closed their doors last year. But as I keep saying, we may be becoming fewer today, but I believe the church is becoming stronger. I believe the darker it gets, the brighter, brighter the church will be. Watch and see. Church, when this world began, darkness covered the earth. Read your Bibles. And it says it was without form or void. But God said, come on, somebody. <laughs> but God said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke it into existence. Well, can I tell you that same God still speaks today, and he's got something he's fixing to say today? If he pierced the darkness then, he can pierce it again. This darkness we now face upon this earth today is not a physical darkness. It is a spiritual darkness. There is a famine coming up on the land, church, that's going to affect us both spiritually and physically. Both the flesh and the spirit are going to be famished. And, which where, and whichever one you feed the most will be the strongest. In the midst of our darkness, God's fixes say once again, let there be light. And once again, the true, the true church, that city on a hill, will be the light of the world. And due to his favor returning back to the church, the savor of the church, the purpose of the church, will be fulfilled on this earth. You know, in China, they're not gathering big church houses like us. They don't have all of this privilege of the, the nice buildings and the nice pews to sit in and all the programs and stuff. No, no, no. They're meeting in basements. They're meeting in houses. The greatest experience I've ever had, supernatural experience in my lifetime, was in China in a basement listening to a peasant woman preach who was saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Ghost, who simply told us about the hands and the feet of Jesus, and the whole room of people were slain in the Spirit by the power of God that fell in that room. God is omnipresence. 
We should be the church in this house, but you should also be the church in your house. David went home. I said, David went home after the glory departed. And after 90 days of hearing how God was blessing Obed-Edom's church, no, 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 no. After 90 days of him hearing how God was blessing Obed-Edom's house, he grew a hunger. I believe Obed-Edom's ability to handle the glory reminded David how unprepared he was. You don't think it didn't make David begin to ponder? Why is it that Obed-Edom's house, the glory can be there, and he can handle it. Nobody's died. He's not trying to give it away. He's sitting there getting his socks blessed off. How come? And it probably made him ponder, bringing him back to a place to remember. David begins to realize that he tried to do it his way instead of God's way. So what's David do? He tells the people, get up, sanctify yourselves. If we want the glory to come back, we've got to get it right here. If we want the glory to come back to this city, it starts with us. And we've got to get it right in here. In our homes, David even prepared a place for the glory to dwell. Once they sanctified themselves, then they went and pursued the glory. And the glory of the Lord returned to the city of David. I hope by now you're getting my point. Let's get it right in our house. Let's sanctify ourselves. Let's sanctify our homes. And we will bring the glory back to the church, the city that is set on a hill. And fulfill our purpose because our Savior will come back due to God's favor coming back. I told you last week, I believe revival is here. And the purpose of it is to revive our faith and cause it to grow. And as our faith grow, the revival is going to grow. I believe we've got to sanctify ourselves. After you've been saved, you're to be sanctified. And sanctified means to be set apart from sin. When you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you're saved. You're forgiven of your sin. Then you need to begin the process of becoming sanctified. Sanctification is a process that removes everything from your life that isn't conducive to Christian living, that would ruin your witness or cause you to sin. Because sin separates us from God's presence. Should you sin? God forbid. But if you should sin, you have an advocate with the Father who's faithful and just to forgive you all sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. When you are sanctified, there will be no difference in your life whether you're in the church or you're in your house. So I'm going to take all of what I've said I'm going to bring my point down to the simple point. To be a Christian is to be sanctified. To be sanctified is a lifestyle that will bring you God's favor, which will bring the savor back to the church, to make the church fulfill its purpose of being the light of the world. So people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They will see it in you when you're in the church house, and they'll see you in your house. To say we are truly a Christian is to say we're sanctified. That we brought everything that is not conducive to a Christian lifestyle unto the subjection of Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, whether we're in the church, at home, or the grocery store, we are one in the same. And we will let our light shine before man, and people see us. It will draw them to us because in their darkness, they're looking for light. In return, allowing us to draw people out of their darkness into his marvelous light. Then we will be the salt of the earth, fulfilling our purpose, causing God's glory to be in our house and the church house. Being a Christian isn't just something we just do on Sunday at church. It's who we are every day, driven by a relationship with Christ. If we're going to win this world, then the world has to see the light in us, in our homes as well as the church. As the church, as the church if we aren't sanctified, we lose our savor and our purpose. That is to be the light of the world in the darkest of times. You want to see your loved ones saved? You want to see your friends saved? You want to see your neighbors saved? You want to see even strangers saved? You got to be sanctified. Show me someone who's winning the lost. I'll show you someone who's sanctified. And God is calling the church to sanctify ourselves. And as we do, our light will burn bright. Palace of praise. Hey, Josh. And we'll become a city set on a hill. Josh. I'll move on. That was his cue. And our sons and daughters will come from afar, both day and night. The doors of the church will be needed to be open so the wayward can come home. Out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Church, that's perpetual revival. Because if we sanctify ourselves and prepare for his presence, we'll be able to handle glory when God deposits it here. And God is looking for places to deposit his glory. But so many churches are unprepared to handle it. And just because you can't have it at the church house does not never mean you can't have it at your house. Because Obed-Edom did. It happened in his house, which led to it happening in the city of David. And my point is, we need revival in our house just as much as we need revival in this house. And by living as a sanctified life, we can have both. We can't, though, by living one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. One way in this house and another way in your house. Some people say, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what, I've heard preachers say, I don't know what the purpose of our church is. I'll tell you. To be the salt and the light of the earth. To be that city set on a hill that cannot be hidden by the darkness of this earth. God is speaking to the church and saying, let there be light. Because we need our savor back, we need God's favor back, and we need to be salty again. Not just in the church house, but also in our house. How? Sanctify yourselves. By removing those things out of our lives that aren't conducive to Christian living. Those things that hurt our witness. Anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and lying and gossiping. Just to name a few. We got to desire to be the same out there as much as we do in here. Out there, church. There's a whole world that needs to see a light in us who are claiming to be the church. You know, in church this morning, we had a, a good crowd this morning, got a good crowd tonight. But as I was driving to go eat, I was driving through town, 
I've seen thousands probably in my journey because I went from one end of town to the other to the restaurant. Thousands of people. They weren't in church today. Jesus is not their Savior. How are they ever going to know? They've got to see Jesus in us, in you. They've got to see what you see in here, out there. And we've got to be out there where we are in here if we're going to win this world. It's time for the glory to come back to our city. Pastor John, would you come with your praise team? Would you stand with me, please?